Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right, let's do it. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's uh, great to finally meet you. This is how we meet each other nowadays. It's the only way (laughs) almost we meet each other nowadays. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, so my name is Rafael Moati. I am the founder of Delicious Future, which is a new organization dedicated to a brighter, more positive future of food. We're a collective, actually, of um, veteran innovation consultants and chefs and um, gatherers, essentially. And we have this... Um, this strong hypothesis that's becoming more and more uh, proven that um, it is through experience that people will get really um, awakened and also excited about the future of food. Um, And essentially, um, I believe there are many future foods that are possible and that we are today at a very specific moment, almost like a an unprecedented unprecedented time where we essentially have all the elements for the future of food to be much more just and much more um, nutritious and more regenerative than what we've had and all the issues that we know about the current food system. Um, so the question is, how do we, how do we, you know, foster that? How do we push forward both from the industry side and from the consumer side? Um, so that this this you know more positive and um, participatory and inclusive future really happens. I love it. I also love the name. I think the name is fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about like what tr- what drove you to do to do this? I mean, are you one of the founders, or maybe you can sure, tell sure. me about what the founders? Yes, I am. Um, yeah. So actually, so most of my career I spent in digital health and working um, most of the time in um, innovation roles, strategy roles, creating new products and services um, around health. And some of it uh, like hardcore healthcare and some of it more wellness, but almost all of it essentially like personalized in some ways. And I've been essentially using digital tools my entire career to figure out how we can change behaviors for the better around health. And of course, there's also a lot of uh, lifestyle changes that you can make, right? To like imp- either improve a condition, improve symptom management, or simply like actually preventing diseases. And um, and most recently, actually, I was uh, working within Intel on a startup. Um, and one of the things actually that uh, was so exciting for me was actually that we were bringing together the the quantified side of um, 
the body and body measurement with a whole service around behavior change to help people essentially like accompany them um, on their journey towards better health. And that's really been like the, it's been on my mind since then. And I um, recently joined a program called the Design Science Studio, which is part of the Buckminster Fuller Institute, a group of 144 um, artists and designers are picked to be um, part of this really awesome program um, that essentially is a um, launch board for projects around regeneration, essentially bringing to life Bucky Fuller's, um, you know, heritage um, and his, his vision around like, you know, a future that can work for 100% of life. Um, and so I would not consider myself an artist in any way and designer is already like, I feel is a very, um, I, I humbly call myself a designer. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so Delicious Future came essentially from this because I really wanted to figure out like, how do I bring together all these things that I love to do, which is bringing people together from different disciplines or different, um, um, I mean, walks of life, essentially. I'm French-American, but I'm also from two different backgrounds in France. And it's kind of been, it's part of my DNA. It's always been something that I've, I've always done, like essentially bridging people that are of different kinds. Um, and so how do, I, how do we bring this together with this notion of like um, flipping the script around the future of food, the script that's been so far very like doom and gloom or very sort of, um, yeah, pessimistic and dystopian to a much more positive narrative. So people can really envision what it can be like. And beyond imagining, I think that um, learning through experience and really experiencing through your senses what that can be like is much more powerful than any kind of lecture, any kind of ad, any kind of anything you can read. But if you can, um, if you can taste that the future can be delicious, but also regenerative for the planet and also nutritious for your body and also benefits your community, how could you possibly say no? So yeah, there's no reason why you can't do all three, right? I mean, right now we haven't been doing all three, but there's no reason why you can't, right? That's right. And actually, on the on the on the opposite, it's like no reason that we can't, and actually all the reasons that we can. And so that's what I think is really exciting today. And so we've started um, with Delicious Future. We started a, a series of gatherings called Future Feasts. Uh, we've had already a couple, and we're. The next one is in a couple of weeks, actually in San Francisco, um, around the Future Food Tech Conference. And what these are are really a matter of showcasing regenerative foods through menus that are created by acclaimed chefs. So the first one we worked on with an amazing chef and author and artist named Maria Finn, who created a whole menu called um, for this dinner called the Wild Coast where she foraged herself a lot of ingredients and also fished some of them and like educated people around the types of oysters that we were serving and all these things. Um, and we had, it was essentially sold out and it was our first dinner and it was super exciting. And we had like an incredible- Fantastic, congratulations. 
Thank you. Uh, it was an incredible turnout in terms of the quality of people and really like the broad range. Uh, and that's really a lot of the feedback we've gotten is like the quality of the conversations, um, the energy in the room, and really like all the sort of uh, the collaborations that are you know starting to happen just because people are excited to meet and excited to sort of have this common vision to work towards. Um, so yeah, and I think a lot of it too is that I think that the um, there's so much noise out there. I mean, so if you talk to people about like anything related to nutrition, you know, the way you choose a certain diet, or the, it's, it's, it's so complex. It's, you know, so multifaceted, but today there's also, I feel like this aspect of, um, at least in certain circles, um, a sense of shame and guilt that we're not doing enough, you know, mm. that we're not doing enough and that we could do more but we don't really necessarily know how and so a lot of what we're striving for and that really drives us is this notion that you can actually empower people with their choices three times a day to feel like they have agency um, around their individual action you know for the planet and I, you know, I'm not naive. I understand it's not like one person that's going to make a difference, I, you know, even if like a very large number. But I think that even if it wasn't, it's not even just the fact that people would eat different things. It's also actually the, the outlook, the positive outlook and the, that opens up new possibilities is incredibly contagious and incredibly um, like it's a virtuous cycle yeah it's amazing how, how people feel that it's so disconnected from your emotion but the emotion is a huge part of of well-being of wellness of course of course yeah definitely and that's i think that's a lot of i mean i could talk about this all day but there's so much that's fine go ahead <laughs> you're you know the way that you experience food um in your body but really also the appreciation that you have and so for sure that's the you know the french woman in me speaking but also the mom and also you know the hostess i guess when i have dinners over at my house um but i think it's it's also you know when i, I know someone who actually i, I admire a very very spiritual person who was telling me about how um she grows parsley on her windowsill and before she picks it, she asks the parsley for permission. And then when she eats it, she really sort of has this moment of gratitude for what, you know, this, this plant that she's nurtured is now going to give her and, and help create her the new cells that are creating the new her. And so without being completely esoteric and, you know, uh, really abstract here, I just think like, it's such a different relationship suddenly to food and to your to your body and to how you yourself have this relationship with your environment, whether it's your local environment, like on your windowsill, <laughs> literally, or your more you know your 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 community. Um, yep. And and more broadly, of course, like you know, the planet as your community. So how does this instantiate itself? I mean, I think all of us would would prefer to eat better. Right. Uh, 
better better foods, better for the planet, like all around better for everyone. How does it instantiate itself? I mean, you were talking a little bit about earlier about the quantified self. Does that come into it as well? I mean, do you analyze what's best for an individual to eat and then come up with foods specifically for them, like a customized plan, which which also fits into these all these other categories? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, thank you for that question. So we're not quite there yet to doing personalized recommendations. I'm not sure if we will get there because I think for us, it would be more interesting to partner with people that do this kind of work um, that I definitely have worked with before. So it's exciting to bring them on. Uh, because the idea with Delicious Future is really to create a network of innovators through the entire food system. Because um, I think the question that you asked when before you finished it, it was interesting because I was thinking, how does that even happen? Because the you know the, the food system is so complex and so large and so multifaceted and all that. Um, and yes, it is. And at the same time, when you speak with some of the, I was at Expo West in LA, for example, um, last week which is like a huge gathering of people around natural foods. I mean, this year was not incredibly well attended. There were 60,000 people there. So, you know, <laughs> and- That's I mean, amazing. <laughs> right? I mean, their usual is like 90 or 95. So um, people come from all over the world to discover new foods or foods that are like pre-market, pre-launch, right? But then I think one of the things you notice when you go to you know trade shows like this is the variability um, in terms of quality and in terms of um, even, I would say, philosophy and sort of way forward, right? I mean, you have essentially people that do very incremental innovation. You have people that do things that are really out there and that are really trying, so, you know, really trying to essentially do a one for one replacement, um, for instance, with plant based um, or cell grown. Uh, ingredients or foods um, that can really replace what we're used to eating, but without the animal, right? So when you when you can get there, when you can get to something where not only does it taste great, and sometimes blind tests show that it tastes better. Um, the Better Meat Company, for example, has this um, has done this research, and uh, so when you know when people like when when it's like it tastes better and at the same time or at least as good right and it looks really good and mm -hmm. now you have this notion of nutritious nutritionally it's like you know similar or the same or maybe better because something has maybe less you know sugars or or fats or cotton, you know what have you and so i think there's just an incredible um actually amount of opportunity in this sense. So not so much necessarily for, um, I mean, how do I say this? So, yeah, so, and so let me go back to your question because it's really important. I think part of what you're asking is how do you quantify how regenerative or how nutritious something is for somebody? Um, and that's actually one of the first things that we did at that very first dinner is start actually identifying all the, um, the key ingredients that were in the menu and um, share with the guests their nutritional value, but also uh, their ecosystem services. So in other words, their benefit for the environment and for the community. So I'll give you an example. Uh, 
we served a specific type of oysters called Olympia oysters. And that used to be very prevalent around the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. And that are smaller than regular oysters, but they're actually um, that actually resist better to the rising of water temperatures. So there is a really, it's really interesting to consider, um, you know, an in increase in um, in those types of oysters right there, you know. Um, and I think what's it really interesting is, so for people to understand, like, so what is the, you know, perhaps like um, carbon capture or like carbon footprint of a specific ingredient or you know who is it farmed by like or where does it come from um, so that's a lot of what we're really uh, looking to do is really to um, help essentially um, reduce confusion and and bring really a lot of um, more I guess systematic and methodical approach around all of these, um, you know, these elements. And so, so we have a number of projects around that uh, with some academic folks. And um, so, yeah, so for me, this, is, this has been central since the beginning because I believe that the, the experience that we take people through um, is one thing, but I think that then it gets really reinforced, uh, you know, by all that that knowledge and it's it's really participates in that paradigm shift excellent so you mentioned something earlier that i wanted to drill down a little bit on you said cell i think it was like cell generated foods and then plant-based and i'm thinking aren't those like totally diametrically opposed ways of doing things because one is almost like you're constructing something out technologically and the other one is you're just sort of growing plants in a certain way. I mean, how do you how do you reconcile those two visions in the same in the same group? Well, thank you for that question, actually, because that's a lot of what we're, we want to do is be non dogmatic, essentially, and show that the future of food needs to be regenerative and nutritious and benefit the community. But it doesn't mean that it has to be entirely vegan. It doesn't mean that it has to be completely low tech or completely high tech. Um, I think the, the beauty and the like that really incredible moment that we find ourselves in is that actually all of these things are opening up. And so all of these possibilities are possible and they can all coexist because there's not one future of food. There's gonna be multiple future of foods, right? I mean, like today there's multiple ways of for people to eat. So I think there's, um, like when there's, you know, there's essentially like a revolution in an industry or, or a field, there's um, different pace at which different, you know, uh, aspects of it come to life. And what's possible to do with lab grown meats or, you know, yeah, cell generated uh, type foods is, is quite different also in terms of nutritional profile than what can be done that's plant-based um, today and it depends because plant-based can also mean a lot of things and I, that's the other piece of I think the confusion today is that you're like so so it's it's whole food but is it plant-based but it's regenerative is it organic like what is this you know uh, one of the I think we have to throw all those terms out the window because right? they, they've, they've lost their meaning now I mean absolutely yeah exactly actually I was um, 
someone, um, a, a professor the other day was telling me like, we should actually come up with a new term, not even food anymore. Like we should use another word. That's exactly. Like, this, this thing that nourishes us and nourishes our environment. And I haven't come up with a good word. So if you have one, I'm, I'm all yours. But I think we'll we'll do I'm, some brainstorming and see if we can come up with something. So. <laughs> so, so yeah, so to your point, I think that all of these have a place. And all of these have a place for different reasons, right? So, um, because some of them are gonna be very local solutions. Um, and that's one of the things that we really strongly believe in and, and really wanna emphasize and, and show is that, um, again, the future of food doesn't have to be the same everywhere. It's more actually, what can you do if you can bring together like ancestral knowledge or you know native plants that are made to live in the environment that you are where you are with these notions right uh, of re regen and so i think the question um the question for me really is like how you know how do we help essentially like foster that change in very different environments so I live in the San Francisco Bay Area in complete bubble in terms of, you know, what people look for, want. Um, oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Right. <laughs> we're, we're so disconnected from the rest of the world. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And if I, you know, if I go to France, I, I know, right, because I was actually at the French consulate in San Francisco the other day. And I, I, it was amazing. We had a really fun experience. I, I, um, I presented uh, the guest. Actually, it was a French execs from, from Silicon Valley. Uh, that came for a climate tech event. And so I served uh, plant-based tuna tartare, but I didn't tell them that it was plant-based. And I had- Nice, what was the reaction? It was actually awesome. It was really so fun. People were blown away. They were like, whoa, really? But what was really interesting, I think that, I mean, I'm now wanna try it with another group, like, you know, I wanna try it with American. I wanna try it with different, cause I, there were some aspects that I think were so culturally you know, um, specific in terms of the questions that people were asking. So I'm really, really curious to see that. But it was it was super fun. It was great. Um, so I love it. So if I was like, say, an uh, inspiring, aspiring food entrepreneur, and I wanted to get into this space, like, how, what would be the best way for me to, to do that? Well, so there are a lot of incubators these days that are specifically focused on food. Um, and it also, again, completely depends on what, like, which part of the system you're in. I mean, if you're in ag tech, it's not going to be the same investors as if you do something that's B2B or B2C, um, that's a final product. Uh, you know, I think there's space for innovators in essentially like every domain. I mean, there's, you know, AI and supply chain innovation that's needed you know, for the future of food to be. And, and similarly, like there's social innovation that needs to happen too. So it's, it's really broad. Um, again, it really depends on what you're trying to do. But so there are VCs that are specifically um, looking at investing in food tech, um, some that are exclusively doing food tech and some that are doing food tech plus other climate tech or other investments. Um, and then, you know, there's always, I mean, all the other ways, like there's, you know, there's federal funding when you do research with or in conjunction with a university there, you know, 
private equity if you want to go that route you know some people bootstrap actually we for our next uh next dinner we're in two weeks i guess uh, we have a number of sponsors that are coming on and that are, um, and not always, not necessarily paid sponsors, but people that want to showcase their foods because they're pre-market. So we're bringing, we're flying this uh, celebrity chef from LA who's just amazingly kind and humble and sweet and photogenic and amazing. And um, her name is Nicole Dersevay. And she, she also runs actually a, a program called the Martha Project, where she, she feeds the houseless community in LA um, vegan foods once a month. And um, anyway, so Nicole's come up with a whole menu based on, you know, the different foods that uh, our sponsors, you know, wanted to show, showcase. So we have like alcohol-free spirits, for example. Um, well, that's a, that's a huge thing now. What, right? Do you, do you have any insight into why alcohol-free spirits are? Is it because of is it the wellness angle or? I mean, I why think are those so popular? The wellness angle, I think for sure. I think you know, new tastes is interesting to people, and they're curious about that. There's some markets also where you know alcohol is not something that can be consumed, um, mm -hmm. and so I know some. I met some people actually at Expo West that were telling me how um, their primary uh, markets are actually um, Saudi Arabia, for example. Um, so there's a number of reasons, uh, but yeah, it's it's really fun to see, you know, um, like what people are coming up with. You have some very young, like you know, just graduated from their PhD. Uh, people that are like just super into it and really want to do it. There's people that are, you know, older like me that have done other things that are like, okay, now is the time I really want to, you know, move that forward. So um, it's, I think there are loads of opportunities. And, and in fact, I think there's going to be more and more because it's really starting to, um, it's like stirring. You can feel it. Like you can feel in the air, like, and everyone I have been talking to is like super excited about the idea, you know? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. why, why wouldn't I do that, right? So the question becomes, and I think to your point, like from an individual standpoint, what does that mean really? What does that mean for me like next week when I go to the store? Or like, how do I make better choices? Or um, how do I not eat this box of cookies? <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> but the box of cookies is good and it'll make you feel better, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but I think so... So, so our standpoint is that we really want to take it from the human-centered perspective, right? We want the human and the human experience to be at the center of all of these gatherings that we do. So right now we're doing these small ones, but we're doing we're also planning uh, much larger ones that are also very much about showcasing, showing, and people to taste and try. And even like, for example, like I don't know how to cook uh, pea protein-based eggs you know that are like for scrambled eggs I, that, I don't that's know a thing i've never even heard of that what do they look do they look like real eggs uh yeah they do they do look like scrambled eggs and they taste good and we're probably going to showcase them actually in, a, in an upcoming event but anyways it doesn't cook the same way exactly as you know as eggs would so it's like i want to try i want to know how that works right um so so i think there's just tons of education you know, educational opportunities, but that can be done like in really fun ways that can be done in ways that are just like, you know, again, exciting for the community to participate in. And 
and personally and maybe that is also my my french background but i believe like there's a huge public health um uh you know issue or challenge here at stake also oh absolutely i agree 100 percent. yeah and so so that also is like you know when people say we can't be thinking you know so short term anymore and we need to really like look beyond profits and you know it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with um with other benefits right but um yeah thinking the longer term the longer term game because our bodies also don't change as fast right so it's like if you think of the pace of nature or the pace of our changing bodies um you know what you eat today isn't going to be like i mean yeah it's um I sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. I think I think it, I mean that I I have that same issue. It's like you keep thinking that what you're eating today is going to affect you tomorrow, but it affects you, you know, days, weeks in a, in in the future. And it's almost like a human human beings can't really think that far out. It's like I'll, I'd rather eat the cupcake today than the, you know the kale tomorrow because at least I know what this tastes like. So yeah, in, your, sure. in your I mean, research, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so in your research, have you found that there is sort of like a base level set of ingredients that is regenerative for everyone. So we don't have to go, we don't necessarily have to go down the customized food path. Well, there's certainly some, um, there are certainly some foods that are, I don't know that I can say a hundred percent regenerative for everyone, but there are some foods like seaweeds, different kinds of seaweeds, uh, mushrooms, and hemp essentially i mean all three are like you know very easy examples um of foods that are very very clearly benefiting the environment that they grow in um and our bodies as well and bring us things that we can't get elsewhere i mean the the i've started doing now quite a bit of research on the on seaweed and different kinds of seaweed in fact that um, our first dinner we had essentially there was seaweed at every single in every single dish even dessert and I, lo I love seaweed I just I, I wish it would be is it really it seems like a miracle food because there's just so much of it everywhere it and is. it probably has a ton of nutrients it but it, it just it hasn't had its moment in the sun yet I don't know why well in the in our western world it hasn't right but in Asia it's been like uh, of course, like ubiquitous forever. Um, I mean, there's even like a study that was done. It's a totally incredible story. Um, by um, so like after um, the bombing um, in Japan at the end of the Second World War, um, the Japanese government actually was using inmates um, and orphans to clean up like nuclear waste, essentially. And they weren't being fed very well. Like they just didn't have enough to eat, essentially. And so they would actually pick seaweed and complement their diet that way. And what happened is, yeah. And I mean, the most interesting is actually that um, around Hiroshima, a lot of people had, you know, radioactive uh, substances in them, but these people did not, because the seaweeds actually had this protective effect on them. So although wow. it's incredible, like that's yeah, amazing. 
it is amazing. And so, so seaweed in so many ways for so many things is really, really, really beneficial. We're just not super used to eating it. I mean, you know, perhaps besides sushi, um, but um, I believe that there's loads and loads of ways to make that happen. And, and of course, you know, they grow like weeds because it's seaweed. <laughs> Yeah, it's everywhere. My my wife is Japanese, so she uh she has seaweed all the time, and we bring seaweed. I like I love seaweed salad and all sorts of other seaweeds, and it just seems to me that it's it needs its moment in the west in sun in the west world. I mean, I'm sure if I went to Asia or Japan or whatever, I'd be able to have like seaweed steak or something even more substantial Mm -hmm. than what we're seeing here. But yeah, Yeah. I wish we'd see more of that. That's even happening, not even just in Asia. I mean, there was this this product actually in the Netherlands. Um, that's a actually it's a seaweed based burger, and it's supposed to be. Oh, well, I, I would I'm eat that in a second. Like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and so, so yeah, so I think there's you know just with these, it's already super exciting what can be done. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this organization in Maine called um, Green Wave. They've created. This really amazing way to um, to do vertical farming in the ocean of kelp and also bivalves, so different kinds of like clams and oysters, right? Um, because they're symbiotic, and the way that um, the way that these vertical farms work is that when the when the kelp needs to be harvested, it's actually um, uh, lobster fishermen who go and harvest it. And it's so interesting cool. because it's yeah because it's like a whole new stream of revenue for them at moments that it's not lobster season but it's the same people in the same boats right that know the same like currents and the same you know parts of the bay and this and that um, and so it's just amazing because there's so much you can do I mean so besides of course like the you know uh, the carbon sinks, but, you know, seaweeds used like in pharmaceuticals and in cosmetics and of course, you know, in food and fillers and fuel. And I mean, it's just so many applications. It's unbelievable. And actually that was one of my, my key questions when I started really digging further into this was why don't we have this in California? Why don't we have like huge, like, you know, (laughs) vertical farms of seaweed of the coast of Mendocino and exactly. This would be a perfect place for it. I can right. I can totally see that here. Yeah. So, you know, hint hint. Uh we need to get that going. <laughs> anybody who's anybody who's listening who's like, oh <laughs> if you need you need yes. something to get and into. It's super lucrative. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. Actually, these guys, Greenwave, they've started, they really wanted other people to be able to replicate their model. So they've created this whole training system. And last I checked, they had 6,000 people on the waiting list. Wow. Wow. Well, if I can help invest in something like that, that, that would be great. Right? I'd love to see something like that. Exactly. I want that seaweed burger. <laughs> right? Definitely. Yep, I'm with you. So uh, let's talk about the future. It's the year 2032, 10 years from now. What What's the future of food going to be like 10 years from now? Well, that was actually, that was a question we asked, actually. Uh, that's the question we ask all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I don't think there's one future of food. I think 2032, uh, first of all, it's both far and very, very close. So it's going to come very fast. So I think some of the things, you know, I mean, obvi- you know, the, the future isn't 
definitely it is for sure. But it's even not only that, it's like when there are multiple futures, it's definitely, you know, everyone at their own pace. And I think that's one of my hopes is that actually that the future of food really is more um, geared towards actually um, community building and really bringing like, you know, um, not necessarily bringing humans in the center, like, you know, like before the Copernicus uh, revolution, but really saying like, our, refinding our place in, you know, in the ecosystem that we live in. And I think that there's something really powerful when you think about like the, the you know, the possibilities of, of food as an equalizer in terms of racial and social justice. And that's one of the things that's really wanted, you know, made me want to work on this more is like some public health um, studies, like, for example, there's one that was done. Um, uh, I think it was John Hopkins, I want to say. Um, and they had actually looked at um, life expectancy based on your zip code. And it was just like, essentially, there was like a 25 year difference between zip codes that are essentially adjacent to each other. Wow. And what was the difference between the zip codes? Like, what, was it a demographic or? Yeah, yeah, it's demographic, yeah. It's, you know, it's social demographic, it's economic opportunity. It's all of these things, right? And so that's not okay, essentially. No. So, and I think that it's- Is it, did you, were you able to find like a difference in the types of foods that they ate in the different, in each yeah, demographic? I mean, like, is this- it wasn't part of the study, but like you can extrapolate that pretty easily. Um, and also, I mean, it's a matter of like, of course, accessibility and availability, right? Besides everything that has to do with like the cultural and the community and the social aspect of food. So if you go to a neighborhood, like, I mean, you go to West Oakland or East Oakland in, in places where there's, you know, there are literally food deserts, you can't find anything fresh. So even if you yeah. want to, you can't, you're not going to drive half an hour for a salad. I mean, I doubt it, you know? And so that's the thing, like, so that's, that's the piece that makes me very excited. So for me, the future of like 2032, we're going to see in this next decade, a lot of small local, uh, leaders that are gonna start growing food you know in our neighborhoods like you, you know you know you know about edible um you know sidewalks and these kinds of projects that have you know happened kind of popped up all over the world i i really hope and i i think that this is going to happen more because people are excited and there's more awareness and there's just a it's just it just feels great like if you eat your own tomatoes it's just like it's just they don't taste like anything that you've ever tried before. There's something so like both simple and powerful in eating food that you've grown. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting to see. So, so for me, that's a, those are huge cultural barriers, though. How do you how do you get food like that into these food deserts? I mean, how do you, how do you get past the situations that they're in now? I mean, like, is it well, you, you lo local farming and yeah, you'd be surprised. There's actually a lot of initiatives these days. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of uh, attention, thankfully, um, you know, on um, African-American farmers and ancestral ways of, of um, 
stewarding the land and things like that. And there's also a lot of, um, I think, awareness, more awareness and interest in indigenous practices. Um, there's, you know, a lot of sort of, I guess, a lot of different voices that are being that are being heard from different communities. And so if you're asking, like, how are we going to make people grow their own food? I think, I mean, it's, it's always a matter of incentives. It's always a matter of like, you know, what's what's in it for me. Um, but in a way, I kind of want to ask, like, what's not in it for you? Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to feel like they're being left behind. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that's, that really excites me is this notion of like, we want to make this future of food so exciting that, you know, everyone wants in, essentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you, when you think about growing your own food, you just think it's a lot of work and it needs a lot of space. But I'm assuming that that's not the case, right? There is there is technology that can yeah. solve that problem. Well, so there's technology. So you can, you know, buy expensive um, technology where you can grow your own foods in, in your house, in your, in your kitchen. There's a ton of different things. But there's also like not very high tech technology, right? <laughs> um, like well, yeah, I've seen those, I've seen those like cupboards. It's like a cupboard that has hydroponic lamps and stuff like that. I'm sure that there's sort of like yeah, low tech versions sure. of the same and thing. That, yeah. And that you're talking about like growing indoors, but even growing outdoors, there's tons of things, that, you know, tons of ways that you can, you can do it on very, very small spaces mm. um, and with limited uh, resources. And I think that's the other piece is like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had early girl tomatoes, for example. They're oh, yeah, they're really good. Incredible. And they only, you know how they, they're grown? They're only water mm. like when the plant first grows and then that's it. And that's why they're so rich. The taste is so rich and nutritious and they're small. They're not mm. like huge and watery. They're like small and really like concentrated, right? And you can feel it when you eat them. Anyway, so like that's just exciting in terms of like uh, what you can get again from a from a taste profile, but also just because it's you don't need as much water and you know it's so it's um, again I think it's just part of of this huge paradigm shift. I was um, it's so interesting. The presidential elections are going are coming up in France pretty soon, and so there's there's a lot of conversations around that and i just saw this morning how there's actually a there's a group i mean students essentially are all getting together and saying none of you 12 candidates are addressing things that actually matter to us and what matters to us is taking care of our planet and our environment and our purchasing power we don't care about a lot of the other things that you guys think we still care about. That's not true. And these are the, you know, this is the new generation. And I mean, maybe we're in a new, like, you know, 68, I don't know, but um, there's just like, yeah, this paradigm shift is happening. And so the question is like, do you, do you want to fight it or do you want to like, you know, bring something positive through it? Yeah, absolutely. Is there's definitely I definitely can see that happening. But you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see uh food being social again. 
because a lot of what's happened nowadays is that people just see it as sustenance, right? The the whole oh, I'm just going to drink some soylent or I'm going to I'm going to sit at my desk and have my sad desk lunch and things like that. If we could just return to a time before when we actually respected people's time to go eat and time to be social and time to uh, sort of disconnect from 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 work for a bit and mm-hmm. and make those remake those connections and i think we've lost a lot of that that we used to have yeah i mean i, I like that you're saying that it's something that's been lost i think it's been lost in certain cultures i think in some cultures it's still very present mm-hmm. um, and again i don't think that the future of food or the future of eating has to look like some kind of you know dystopian science fiction version of everything. Right? I'll take my pill for lunch, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, the, the joy of getting together, that's a huge thing. And that's actually why we started our, um, our gatherings as that we called them feasts, because we want people to, and, and that's really the, the energy we're trying to, to, to get, right? Like different people of very different kinds. I mean, like, you know, VCs, and farmers and social activists um, and chefs and entrepreneurs together right like that's I think that's where and you know it's it's really interesting Um, and yeah of course I mean um, there's so many different ways to be social around food Um, it's a yeah I think there's a lot of possibilities there for sure to, to, Fantastic. Know, to bring back or bring, you know, bring new and bring back at the same time. Yeah, I love it. So if somebody wants to get, uh, like, take part and, and help the cause, what's the best way for them to contact you? Do they contact you directly or are there other organizations? Definitely. I mean, you can write to me at rafael at deliciousfuture.com uh, for sure. On our website, there's also a contact us page. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us kind of anywhere, um, anywhere social, I guess. Um, and yeah, we're looking for partners. We're looking for different kinds of partners today. Um, people that want to be involved in the growing of the organization, but more so uh, people that want to that have their own organization and that want to, you know, work with us because they believe that we have a similar vision. Um, and it's actually been very, very cool to see, um, you know, people, how they're receiving um, this message and this sort of mission. Um, and we're very excited to be like growing the vision with people of, you know, of different kinds. Like we're talking to folks who um, have done like huge festivals, for example. And that's something mm. that, you know, that's super fun and exciting to do. But we're also talking to people that are more like, doing things for like public entities. And I think all of these have a place. So it's, I think the whole, the whole beauty and the whole richness and value is to bring all of those. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. And this is very exciting. Our thank future you. is going to be very delicious. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.